welcome to episode 151 of the local meta. My name is Fletcher. And I'm John. John, how's it going? Good. I just realized that we are officially at the second best number of Pokemon. 151, that's right. 151. 251. The best number of Pokemon. Because Gen 2 is the best? Gen 2 is the best. That's right. I, I actually agree with you. I actually will accept. I actually think 400, as crazy as that sounds, is actually a reasonable number, also, because I like how they cut out a lot of the extraneous BS. But they, yeah, I agree. Like they did a good job with that. They also added some dumb extraneous BS, but like all the legendaries and mythics. <sighs> that is kind of annoying. Actually, the squirrel. I hate the squirrel. That's fair. They should have just put a freaking Rattata in there if they're gonna waste a slot on that. You each each. Uh, region needs to have its own Rattata, right? I know. It needs but... its own Rattata, it needs its own Pidgey, which in this case is Brookity, which is dope. Which is dope as shit, considering that the like team I'm making right now has its fully evolved form on it. That says mm-hmm. something. Yeah, I mean, to be well, fair, really, Pid- I have Pidgey on my full my competitive team, but... <laughs> P- Pidgeot was okay. It wasn't Pidgeot. great. Pidgeot. It was okay. I don't know we're going to bring this up. Now I gotta look. I'm I'm curious what tier in red and blue Pidgeot was. That's, Pidgeot, that's... red and blue, underused. That's not bad. No, so it's right below OU, right? Yeah. Because this is back when they didn't have like a hundred different tiers for shit. So it's yeah. like, yeah. yeah. OU's fine. That's like, that's nothing to shake a stick at. It's yeah. okay. It's not great, I mean, for... but it's okay. <laughs> for the, you know, Red Hat variant, that's pretty, you know pretty solid but i mean let's be real pidgeot not gonna be that good in a world that's dominated by rhydon and golem that is true because rock slide <laughs> he did yeah apparently eradicate was also underused though so that just shows you the world they were living in at the time but... super, fang, super fang is actually really powerful yeah, because of the crit stuff or Super Fang just straight up deals half of your opponent's remaining HP. Does it? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. It's either Super Fang or Hyper Fang does that. Hmm. Okay. And... I thought one of them just had accelerated crit, but. Uh, no, because based on speed, I mean, Radicate's relatively okay speed wise, but. Um... Yeah. No, he. Yeah, he learns, he learns Super Fang, which deals okay. damage to target equal half its current HP. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is. Kind of insane. Yeah. Hmm. I like these little Pokemon tidbits that we've been putting in the beginning of every single episode lately. So since so since we're a magic podcast talking about Pokemon, going to talk about tabletop gaming today. <laughs> <laughs> in case anyone's confused, uh, why don't we? We should probably get cooking on stuff here. Right. I know. I know. I, mean, I want to. It's fun talking Pokemon, but. Um, we need more uh, people to talk about Pokemon with us. Yeah, I mean, we uh, and actually for the podcast stuff, we have a set coming up soon, so we'll be able to talk magic pretty soon here. The set, like, so the set is what we should actually be bantering about. We yeah. have Godzilla. Yeah, we have friggin', literally friggin' Godzilla in that. Like, I don't know if this is the most ambitious crossover ever, but it definitely gets like a lot of points from me because like a lot of critics hate 
unlike the newest Godzilla movies, the critics are wrong. They are ridiculously fun. I don't like monster movies. That's fine. You're like allowed to be wrong. I'm gonna I'm gonna admit, I look at all this stuff with the Godzilla and all that crap, I'm like This isn't for me, I've just decided. Like I I don't like giant monsters doing that's, things typically, that's, so that's fine. You currently owe me like a hundred something in trade. I'll just take all your old darts and we'll be happy. Alright, we'll do that. Sounds solid to me. If I get any <laughs> of them, I'm, I am a-okay with that. But I do find the um uh the cro- the the like official crossover thing like really interesting. Yeah. Like it, that kind of opens some weird gates, doesn't it? It does. Because like th- this is like their first crossover that has nothing to do with Hasbro, right? Yeah. Like you know, we, like we've had the, the Transformers, we've had the My yeah. Little Pony. And the, but and let's, let's point out those were all Silver Border. They're all Silver Border. And to be fair, like Godzilla himself is not an actual card. Yeah, right? it's, it's Godzilla is another card, mm-hmm. and he plays as that card. It just says Godzilla mm-hmm. King of Monsters on the front. Yeah. But still, that's something. Like that, that is definitely something. Like, yeah, they've they've obviously when they made made the cards like that, they they picked and choose like there's a giant freaking moth. Yep. And I don't know if that moth was made in the intention of like, oh, this is gonna be Mothra, but dear God, it's Mothra. Yeah, and it right. even plays into like the actual Mothra mythos, where Mothra literally brings things back to life okay yeah i don't know anything about the mythos because it's all stupid (laughs) mothra is the guardian of earth and basically mothra is like the best butt with godzilla this is just too japanese for me (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i can't okay you really you should learn to be like a child and actually watch the 2016 or whatever Godzilla movie. Okay. Maybe it is we'll... amazing. Alright, I'll just trust you, but you can, then, sit over there, you can sit over there and be a nerd and, and then in, Godzilla. We're going to talk in about the, In the sequel, you literally have a giant moth fighting a pterodactyl. <laughs> and it's great. Alright, man. Whatever, whatever you say. Okay, let's, let's get to our not magic topic today. Um, so um, we're going to continue on with the the tabletop gaming um, thing where I'm kind of breaking down Rosetta's twenty years, twenty lessons thing, uh, and describing how each point kind of applies to tabletop gaming. Just kind of you know, since magic stuff's been light and we've been you know all locked in our houses and stuff, but and- all right. As as we showed in the previous episode, a lot of it does also bridge very cleanly into magic for very obvious reasons. Yes, I mean, it's all originally for magic topics, but... Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Alright, should we get started? Sure. We got all the way through point number five yes, last week, so we'll, we'll start on six, because that's the logical place. So, this one is, understand what emotion your game is trying to evoke. Um... Basically, you know, he's saying make sure all the pieces of your game serve that emotion and are trying to, um, you know, convey that emotion and push push that along. Um, his example was um, Innistrad. 
Yep, and, perfect example. And, and basically how all of that set came together. You know, uh, the whole game was about making was was about making something feel like horror and making you feel scared. Um, and you know that, and that's tough to do in Magic in tabletop gaming. This is something that I think is a very strong key to a good game, but not something that people pay enough attention to. And this is like one of the things that I'm like, if I'm working on something right now, this is the, this is one of the things that I'm really working on here. You know, we've talked about a lot about getting the feel of a game, you know, and talking about how, like, think about the, um, the war, like the, uh, the 40 K game, you know, like, and how, the tone you're trying to set with it and the emotion you're trying to get through with it and everything need to be cohesive because if it doesn't match, the game will feel awkward. You know, it doesn't sit right. If you think about that first 40k game we played and how it 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 felt it felt hokey. It didn't feel good. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of very much cliche gaming, as it were, was going on it, right? Yeah. It was not 40k style gaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we we you know we use this exact, exact example multiple times before. Like the feel of 40k needs to be a very specific way for it to work. Yep, because it is too over the top of a system. <laughs> it's too over the top of a world of a system of a everything. Yeah, like the 40k universe is one of the most ridiculous things ever. Uh, anyone who wants to know this should look up a Stardace on YouTube. Yeah, it is a trending video right now. Boy, happy will it give you a prime example of what the 40k world is like. Yeah, like, <laughs> and that's a perfect example though. Like, honestly, it's it's dudes running around in stupid power armor and like way over the top things and stuff. But like, it has you if it's playing into that emotion. Yes, and I think that's a big thing. Like, I think one of the things you know, and you don't think I don't think about it as as a game that was trying to convey an emotion, but I think overall that Ironclaw game. It, that I ran, um, it had a consistent sort of tone and emotion to it throughout the whole thing. You know, it's this sort of win. <laughs> yeah, well, that was some of it, but like it was a very serious tone to the whole thing, and the emotion was like that kind of came through. It was this sort of feeling of somewhat desperation of you know that it it made people feel a certain way of this intrigue and everything, and I think that helped carry it. You know, and it helped people take it seriously. It definitely did because, like, Iron Claw, I think, is a relatively serious. It doesn't seem like it would be I'm a serious sure. system. I'm not sure. Like, it doesn't seem like it would be a serious system, but if you actually see in how the system plays, mm-hmm. I actually think it is. Yeah, I think I kind of agree with you. Like, it has a like your anthropomorphic animals running around, so you automatically think of you know furries, right? It's really I mean, hard to take furry seriously. It's a furry RPG. We're just going to be straight honest here. That's what it's actually was marketed as. Yeah, but the in the actual playing of you know, like the system itself, it is not a it is not a jovial joking thing. Like it's very very similar. Where the first Iron Claw game we ever played, no one took it seriously. No, it was kind of just haha, you know, like it was over the top a little bit and just kind of you know. But then, the, but then the second one was very much buckled down. Everybody sort of had this this feeling of being. I don't even I don't even know how it is, but like 
everybody had an investment to the like family of that game like yes. and and that emotion and that like that whole emotion of caring about that family ran through the entire game every character cared like cared about it in some way not necessarily for the better of it but you know like you know you're like your character cared very much about the family in, in his own way yep i mean he <laughs> killed his dad his brother <laughs> lost an arm and stuff but you know like <laughs> But yeah, it was but like, for the good of the family. It was for the good of the family. You know, <laughs> but like you could see that with that the sort of feeling there. I mean, and like honestly, like one of the most beautiful scenes ever I think I've seen in one of our games happened in that game. Like because of that whole emotion and everything. Mm. Like I, I don't think I like I I didn't even know what to do like <laughs> with some of those scenes because there's people played it so good. Like, you know, and I think keeping that tone and that um uh and that emotion, understanding what you're trying to present with this game is a big piece. Yeah. This this actually is a an issue that I've had for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. um, I have always wanted to run a horror game. Yeah. I've The closest I've ever gotten was that 40k game. Pretty, that 40k right? game, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I, I think, say I'd say both 40k games. I I, yeah, both of them. I think it work, right. I think see, I think you need to pull the trigger because I think you got the chops for it. Maybe the thing is, I don't know how to. I think I can do a horror game, but only if it's like a horror monster game. Like, like there's a Jason coming after you, right? I okay. don't think I can do like I would love to have like a big grandiose campaign. In like set in like the D and D world where everything is just shit. <laughs> like that's all. That's like one of the things that I've wanted to do for a long time. Where it's like, like there's like uh there's like an evil behind the scenes that's like pulling the strings yeah. that you're not aware of, and like everything goes poorly. And I've even had like a one shot idea that I've had for a very very long time. But part of it is I d trying to evoke that emotion in trying to evoke actual factual fear and like horror in people is not easy when you're sitting around a brightly lit table and you're all like having a relatively good time yeah it's hard like that's one of the things too i want to run um uh is it silent memories um yeah yeah, say so see the silent memories are spiders of my mind. One of the two. It's not spiders of my mind. Silent memories is the one with the where you're on the spaceship, I think. Yep. Yeah, like that one I really want to run. But that requires a very specific tone, a very tense tone. Yeah. And like figuring out how to generate that like is part of the the challenge. I actually one of the ideas too I've had is to run like uh I think I I think I've said it to you, so I'll just say it here, even though I'd put it into you and it would be it was it would supposed to be a reveal but like it like an event horizon style game yeah like that's one i've I, i've seriously considered it was actually kind of setting up long term for a while but um i never really got to that point so yeah and like that's the thing like having it it's really really easy to elicit like happiness in your players oh yeah like it's if you want your your players to have a good time and you're not a troglodyte sociopath <laughs> you can do it yeah all you do is say here's a village have fun i mean that's what right. we've done before we've been like yay and like 
your players will literally make their own fun. They might oh, yeah. dis- they might wind up like dismembering the mayor because they're sociopaths, as I've said previously. I, I had a character go dress shopping. Like, so, like, <laughs> like that's exactly the thing, right? Like your players, it's really easy to make your players feel joy. It's really easy to make your players feel frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> which usually is a bad thing. And I even think it's relatively easy to make your players feel angry. Yeah, I think so. Right? It is really hard to make them feel uneasy or scared. Yeah, I, it is I'm hard. Say, I'm, You've I'm, done I'm, it, though, man. You have done it. Like, have I, though? <laughs> I, I think with some of those... Yeah, with those games, you've done it. I think you've got better chops than you think you do. Maybe. I think you should try it sometime, but... I, mean, I was actually going to say, it's actually really easy to make one of the players feel uneasy, except for you, because all I have to do is just act, like, overtly sexual towards them. <laughs> and I have never seen someone be more bothered by that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I just my, lick you. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> like, like what I'm sitting across the table from our one player, and I'm playing a f- overly flamboyant captain of a ship, and... They just couldn't handle it. They're like, I can't. I just I can't, can't do it. I can't do it. It's <laughs> just funny because they themselves were playing a flamboyant character. Uh, but yeah, I just like I can't I do just, it. I just took their character. I was like, you're at like a seven. I'm gonna show you a twelve. Yeah, right. You played <laughs> play Darius as a character though, so you can. I I did. Yeah. Okay. And as as everyone says, every every single character you ever play has a little part of you in it. I know, that's awful when I think about some of it. <laughs> I just think about that one character I played, and I'm like, ah, damn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, okay. So, that's uh, point number six. Understand what emotion your game is trying to evoke. Um, number you seven. Know, remember when you're like, man, I can't believe we only covered five topics. Yeah, no. <laughs> remember when you thought you couldn't say anything about stuff? It helps that I actually have the notes document brought up to keep me, yeah, good keep job. me focused this time. <laughs> Uh, all right so number seven um allow the player the ability to make the game personal um so basically the more the game the players uh think the game is about them the better they will think of it um provide choices resources paths um expressions give the player the ability to choose and not choose things and allow them uh to feel what um what they choose is theirs um so Martin Rosewater's example actually for this was um uh, making the full art lands in <laughs> on um the unsets. Um which is a suggestion from Chris Chris Rush. Um but uh like and people loved lands. And lands are the stupidest, most boring part of magic. Yep. Like they're just there, you know, and everything. And and basically everybody in the building was like, why would you do that? They're just they're just mana, who cares about them? But people really took to it. They liked the ability to customize their deck and their, you know, and put the, you know, these are their lands in their deck. This is the this is the land they use. You know, this is the the art of the card I use here and stuff like that. It's, people go crazy yeah. over yeah. basics. Oh yeah. I specifically went out of my way to find twenty matching basics of each land that I was like, I love this art. Yep. And, and I, I have for drafting. I have some sets of basics too and stuff like that. Like I got my white border basics for drafting and like I have um uh some ice age basics I use and stuff like that, the non snow ones actually and yeah. Like it's 
it's one of my most like least noticed but most common flexes when I just like slip Mirage Basics in certain decks. Yeah, buddy, Mirage Basics. Because <laughs> like Mirage has some of the best land arts of all time in it. I agree. And I actually there's a lot of decks where I prefer I would rather play Mirage Lands over something like um a full art. Mm-hmm. Or you know the fact that yeah. I specifically use White Border Eighth Edition. Uh, Mirage Mountains in my Goblins deck in uh, yeah <laughs> in Legacy. Yep, because they got to be white borders. They match your dual lands. Yeah, right. It's a, I, I like actually using white borders in um uh, uh for that too because you can find your find all your lands. But um, but basically, I'm, so, whoops, sorry. I'm actually I'm actually very very surprised that his reasoning his his example of this wasn't deck selection. I mean, that's some of it, too, but, like, that's part of the whole piece is, is that, basically, you're giving the people the ability to customize their components and everything and stuff like that. So they don't just have a deck, they have their deck. It's not yeah. just the selection. You get, not only do you get to choose what cards are in the deck, you get to choose what art of the cards are in the deck, what's, you know, what addition, what the um, treatments on them. You, you know, you can do all these things to really make it your own. And so, to bring this to the, um, you know, the RPG topic stuff here, this is, you know, as a Game Master stuff, you kind of build this this world and this game and everything, and part of making the game interesting for your players is giving them something that they can call their own, and the, allowing them to find the piece that's theirs. You know? Um, obviously, like, obviously the easiest the easiest spot is the um uh, is like their character but yep. you know there's things in their character that they can find that find too there's things in the world that they can sort of make theirs or even give them ownership of to develop and everything yeah like um, troll skull matter i mean something like that is is a perfect example or even like you know small pieces of the game or something that they can kind of you know make make their own um, like I feel like in um, oh, I'm trying to think of uh the specific games specific games there, but one of the examples I've heard is is that like so, you know, you your player comes from this specific place or culture or whatever. Let them let them design it if it fits within your world. You know, work with them to 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 make that thing that gives them ownership over that piece. That they they're now the controller of that. They understand, that. you know, they. This is something they built and contributed to the world, and that draws them into the whole thing. This actually leads into a an interesting topic that was been brought up on Fear the Boot recently, and they had a four episode series about it. <laughs> it was called "To Splat or Not to Splat," and for for those who don't know, um, any. Any non-core books in a gaming system are usually referred to as splat books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am a huge fan of splat books. As my like four-foot high stack of 3.5 edition D&D books will attest to. Yeah. And I've always been a huge fan of them. I've always liked them. And I've in any game I've ever ran, I've always been very, very open in if a character, if a player wants to use one, they can use one. Yeah, the this, the criteria is they're in charge of knowing it. Yeah, like 
I'm not going to keep track of your stuff for you. It is yep. all you. You want to play this weird class? Be my guest. I don't care. You play what you want to play. <laughs> you want to use this weird feat that allows you to like juggle while climbing up a wall? Sure. You tell me what you have to roll for it. All right. <laughs> See, and, like, and I'm. Oops, sorry. And, and like, I'm a big fan of just giving that freedom to players because I think a player should be allowed to play what they want to play. Within reason, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I'm torn on it too because, like, I always set like the thing I always do is I set the boundary for the for the thing. It's like you need to fit in this box. Yeah. You know, like you're gonna have to fit in this box in some capacity. Now, whatever fits in there, I'm okay with. You know, we can work with that. But like, you know, if I'm playing a game in this setting and everything, and this is kind of the direction we're going, and you play something that doesn't fit with that at all, that's not gonna work because guess what? All of us need to be in on this, mm-hmm. you know. So I, there's like, a reason I why I, I, there's a reason why I haven't played like ninjas in most of your games, right? <laughs> because I hate ninjas. No, I'm kidding. I let you be, play ninjas. To be fair, if you're in a game that allows monks, ninjas are not that much of a step. So no, they're not really. Like uh, honestly, I don't care that I wouldn't care that much. Yeah, but actually, the actually the world it would probably fit the best in is that um uh, that last. Uh, Pathfinder game I was running. Yeah, it actually kind of fit there. But I also have like I have not had a desire to play ninjas since I was in high school. So yeah, fair enough because you realize they're They're cool in concept. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose, but but they're just a fancy rogue. Yeah, but I mean, so, but yeah, the you know the whole thing with this lesson is obviously give players something to. To call their own, and I think giving the, them their character to call their own, obviously, like you know, let them have their character, let them, you know, make their character within the bounds that you need, and let obviously let that be theirs. But I think finding threads in your in the game world, actually, or storylines or things like that, can really, uh, you know, help it be something more, you know, and it really draws them in. So, all right. But that was allow the player the ability to make the game personal. So, number eight, which is very similar to some degree, um, the details are where the players fall in love with your game. Um, so, tiny de- the the tiny details may only matter to a small percentage, but to that small percentage, it could mean everything. Um, the example Rosewater uses is Thibbleton. <laughs> um, Good example. I mean, so. Obviously, Thibblethip showed up on a draft common in Gatecrash. I think is what it was. But and it was not, you know, it was a draft card. It was not particularly good, but people just fell in love with him. There's just little, uh, you know, in Magic you see these little tiny things that people just fall in love with and appreciate and everything. The de- like the, those details are huge, and. You know, I think this is one of the huge strengths of um, tabletop gaming is because you can include these details like this, and it really makes it easy for um, players to latch on to these things. And you can kind of flex them bigger or smaller as you as you need to. Um, whether it's something you know people need, but you know. Players will remember the 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 
personal connections they have with your game. They'll remember the very specific things that the the details that happened to them that matter. You know, we probably cannot think of the the like little things that really mattered, the little you know, the little pieces of the game that re- we really latched onto and and took. And I think sewing those little pieces in are really really important to to that whole experience, you know. You may you may just have that that one NPC in the game labeled as the barkeep in your notes or something like that. But when it when the player kind of goes into that more and examines it, it can be something that really becomes a big part for them. Um you know, like it, it's funny what people really gravitate towards. Um I for one though, I mean one of the things that kind of clicks in my head is um uh, in that Pathfinder game we played. Um, I really didn't have a storyline set up for it or anything. I kind of had like a quick fleshed out thing, but Richie kind of hanging out with that halfling, which just slowly led to a bunch of random little insults to his character. I know, but like, but like, I had something with like. There's actually a bigger story with that now that I kind of built in the background. And actually, if you guys ever came back, there'd be more with that. But like, you know, it was kind of a detail that just kind of click together you know it was something that's like oh if they take it they take it if they don't they don't and he kind of just ran and ran with it in a like in a different direction too like actually kind of a like nice direction you know it wasn't something you know we obviously give him a lot of shit for it but like i don't think it was that bad but like just connecting with you know a, a non-player character kind of thing you know and being able to do things like that really draw people into the world, I think, and they make people care about the games. They do kind of, you know, what the previous thing is, is that's where people find, you know, their connection to the game is through, is when they can make something personal. I mean, that basically, like, that is the story of the the Forgotten Light slash the Serata game. The Yeah, the Serata game, considering like, how many games have been ran in that system. Yeah. <laughs> or in that world, like that is the game. Yeah. Everything about that was like players finding connections with each other and with NPCs. Yep. And like and not just world. not even like the same NPC and all that, right? Like no, just different a bunch of different ones. I mean different it, that game was about relationships and finding those personal connections and those details that really mattered to 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 the person. You know, it was like it was just all these little things. Like, I mean, that game just kind of built itself up over that exact thing. And it was, it was night. Like that, that was one of the big things is that the game was very, like very much had a direction and a story and a focus. Yes. But there was enough room within that, in, in that story. It wasn't so, so corridored where, we could explore and we could find these things and we could go on these missions of our own that we kind of dreamt up to some degree. Like, you know, yeah, we, we kind of made our own couple detours on occasion. Yeah. There were some detours we definitely made, but like, you know, we had the choices to do things and, and connect with these things. And that's what made that game so memorable. I mean, it made the character so memorable too. Like just because you really, felt connected with the character and the NPCs and the other characters. Good times. Yep. But. All right. So 
details or other players fall in love with your game. Um, so, number nine. Allow your players to have a sense of ownership. Um, you need to give players the ability to build things that are uniquely theirs and have a, you know, a larger sense of ownership in the game. Um, the, the example that Rosewater gives for this one is actually Commander. Because um, it's a player-built format that they didn't have any control over and the players created it. It's obviously become huge. Like That's probably one of the biggest played formats now. Um, you know, and, and allowing players to own a piece of that game. Um, and I think the thing I have with this is that, you know, give, give your players the ability to create things in your world. You know, I think as, as a GM, you want to like build out this completely fleshed out hundred percent universe where there's, where everything, every blank is filled in. And I don't think that's the right way to do it. Like when you're building storylines or games or anything like that, I think you need to leave some room for the players to add things in there and create things that are uniquely theirs. And, you know, as I was saying earlier, it's like, you know, suppose your player comes from this place or is interested in this thing. Let them make it. Let them own that. I don't really have much to add to this part. One in particular, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately. Uh, okay. I was, I was like... speaking, so you don't think I cut out randomly. <laughs> okay, yeah. I was like, I was just going to see if you had anything to say, but like, yeah, I mean, like this is you know obviously a big, you know, a big piece where you can give them that ability to, you know, fill in some of the gaps and everything. I mean, obviously sometimes it backfires, and you get people naming towns port port Bozil and shit like that. But like even that has a weird charm to it. To be fair, it was named Port Boatsville because it, you didn't have a name for it. <laughs> You're like, this is a town. It doesn't matter. We're like, it does now. <laughs> and you're like, here's the name. <laughs> you. But so, but I mean, like, in a weird sense, as stupid as that was, it gave you guys a sense of like, that came up constantly. Yep. Like, I'm, I'm sure if I was like, oh yeah, like, there's demon attacking built so you'd be like saddle the hell up let's go we gotta save this place like that's goddamn port boat still <laughs> we must save the place where this all started i mean like you know it, it's it sounds dumb but it's like even with that sort of silliness like there was a connection there to some degree but okay. so here's sorry. a question though in regards to that mm-hmm. what do you do if you have a group that just doesn't necessarily wants to be part of the creation process. I mean, like, at what, rule number at, one of anything like for gaming is know your group, honestly. That's because because like, like at, at what point should you is do you, do you personally have like a, a metric that you go off of for it's like all right, so I'm gonna like have this planned out up until this point, and I'm gonna just kind of like see what the players want to do from like to build off this themselves, or are you more of like, I'm just going to have a plan, and if they decide to change it, I'll wing it? Yes. Okay. That's, that's very, a very, that is a very common one for me. <laughs> that's more the way I go. So, like, usually I'll, I'll sketch out a plan and everything, and I have, I actually have, usually I'll build in a couple contingencies to get them back here, but I like leaving blank space in mm. there. Like, just so, like, if you mapped out, like, the, suppose, like, think, if you think about, take a map of the, of a, playing a game in. Yep. And if you were to like leave it black and white, but color in the spots that I that I direct you to visit, 
that map is going to be mostly unfilled. Like, regardless of the size of the world, I don't, I don't push you guys in a lot of... I push you guys in very specific directions, and I try to leave stuff open for, for you to explore. And, and give you little bits and pieces along the way is typically how I like to do it. Right. So, you know, let, why, don't, why don't we go on to number 10 then here, just because this is super, super related to this. But um, uh, number 10 um, is leave room for your players to explore. Uh, when players make discoveries, they're more invested in the game. They like finding things. Um, Rosewater's example for this was um, uh, the, the Summoner's Pact uh, Hive Mind combo. <laughs> like, you know, that weird interaction of players being able to pick things out and explore and find these cool combinations of things. But, um, you know, and, and in gaming, as I said, it's like, don't railroad people, you know, don't make it the, the corridor that you walk down until you run into an encounter of enemies and then you walk down the corridor again until you hit the next batch of enemies. Like, that's not. Like this is big. Tabletop gaming is bigger than that. You know, give opportunity to explore. Create. Let players create new things in your world, even if they don't realize they're creating them. Um, and you know, like an over as I was saying, an overly detailed world with no room to grow, with no room to expand, is just not really that fun. You have to be able to put things into it. I mean, even if you think about any other intellectual property that exists right now. You know, even if it feels like it's filled out, they're constantly adding things into it to keep creating storylines and, you know, make things interesting and, and fun. Like, a, a static world with no room to grow is just not fun. Anything? <laughs> uh, not at the moment. Okay. <laughs> but, so, like, um, I mean, I can use some of my, you know, examples here and everything, so that so that pathfinder game you're yep. if you think about if you think about that one a lot of the stuff that happened along the way in that game are things that you guys created inadvertently oh yeah like the the you know uprising and murder of a previous ruler yep like that is something you guys created like i i made the character and had him show up and then actually like brought that around and everything because the attention you about you spent on him um Collecting ingredients for uh, what's her name or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. To, to make the potion to try and save her from her demon position. Yeah, not something that I had really much of a plan with stuff, and actually built in uh, as you guys went down that road. I thought that was a mission that you gave us. It was a mission I gave you, but you didn't have like the the stuff locked in for it yet. You're just kind of like, we'll see. You where guys, goes, you guys, be, because you guys went that way you actually i actually built a mission based on that it was not something like from like from the start of the game when i planned it out and and figured out what i wanted to do that was not in there and i actually developed a bunch of things off of that actually to help uh build out and flesh out some of that the areas of the world you went to like yeah i mean i think the i think what people do is sometimes they they write a game and have and try to stick to that script where the game needs to expand and contract around your players. You know, it if the players are going off on these threads, you need to expand the game around them and and you know, you can kind of nudge them back onto the onto the trail if need be. Um 
but like you want the game to expand and then once you know and then everything kind of comes back around them for when they get back on that trail and like as they're going down their focus on that and then when they start going away let let it grow again and everything you know i think some of the best games are the are those ones that are allowed to to do that where you allow that you know that exploration and you give them room to do that but, I don't know. I don't know why, but you just reminded me of my one Shadowrun quotations a gang game. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking that game in my head as I was talking about that stuff. Where you're all like sixteen year olds, and you know, the number of times where it's like, all right, what what is everyone doing? And I was like, let's just go down this, you know, this rabbit like, hole, right? This rabbit hole. It's like I want to steal this van. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, like, and then he wound up getting a job because of it. Yeah, like which was hilarious. You don't plan that. No, I I definitely did not plan that. When you when you made that game, you did not know that person had that van even. No, <laughs> like you probably didn't know that that person had a grandmother even. Like the, the <laughs> that connection, like the the game shifted completely around what was happening, and you will giving the your players the ability to go and do those things and to explore those different things is just, I mean, that's what makes gaming so great, obviously. Yeah, you know, like, and I think that was yeah. I I was thinking about that game exactly when we were talking about it. I, more in my head for some reason. I was picturing all of our characters sitting under sitting under an under overpass, uh, drinking forties. But yeah. you know, like, you know, I don't know. It, but yeah, so the, leave the more place to explore. Yeah, the more we talk about these things, the more I realize I'm very good at improv. I mean, that's. That's how we're built more so. We're not very like, <laughs> like we like we have plans. Like I literally for for most of my games have OneNote documents detailing what I want the game to be. But the thing, you know, the thing also is is that I don't say this is where they're going and this is what exactly I expect them to do and this is, you know, I don't detail all those pieces. You know, a lot of times I'll throw stuff out in a document is be like okay this is the place they're going to and there's this thing here this thing here this thing here this is and then give a general and i'll give myself a general sense of what the place is so that when you're like well is this here i can be like yes or no you know depending on how the game how that place feels you know or whether it needs to be there or not um so like it's not complete like i'm just like we're going to run a game and I just walk in with nothing. I've done that too, which is really fun. But I'm, uh, you know, I have a plan and it's just adapting your plan to move around the players and let them explore, you know, their characters and the world. But anything else? Okay. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay. So, uh, number 11. This is one of or so uh number eleven, if everyone likes your game but no one loves it, it will fail. Uh players don't need to love everything, but they need to love something. Don't worry that players will hate something, worry that no one will love anything. Um the example Rosewater gives us he talks about the rare poll about, you know, um, would you rather have um what card do you do you think is we prefer? A card that is all gets all sevens on their poll. Or a cards that gets one oh, is half ones and tens, you know. And he says the ones and tens because it's a str- you know evoking a strong emotional response. Um, I mean, with gaming, we've all had middling games. I mean, 
think of all the games we've played, man. Like, yep. like we've had a lot of games that are just fine. Like, and those don't really stand out. You don't think about them. You don't, you know, they're, they're the ones that are kind of forgotten in a lot of ways. Like, the games that we remember are the ones that were so awful you could barely stand them. And then the ones that just were were great, you know, or tried something different and maybe crashed and burned a little bit because of it and stuff. But But they were the games that, you know, that that stuck out. They did something that evoked a strong response one way or another. You know? And I think one of the big things is, is that, you know, we're constantly trying to, to write good games and or maybe, or, or just, you know, games that are good enough and we're afraid of BA, of, of making something that, you know, people don't like or it's not fun or whatever. It's like, you know what, you can throw a game away and you can start again. Like, I think I think one of the biggest things we do, and Rosewater says a thing, says it in this lesson too, is is that the biggest risk is not taking risks. You know, like I think trying to do cool new things and take chances with it, and that's where you get the wonderful things that come up in games that that you know you can't expect. Like great games don't happen through repetition, as ridiculous as that sounds. Like I think. Great games happen because you're willing to say, all right, I want to try this thing. How can I make that work the best for this game? I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of a game that we played that I would consider to be like a so terrible you can't stand it. The only one that comes to mind that was so terrible I couldn't stand it was that Diceless Mist game, probably. And even, that, that. and even that had some of its gems to it. You didn't play that? No. We were gaming at Dungeon's End at the time, dude. Diceless Mist game? Yeah, with the, with the it's that Diceless system I wrote uh, where you're in Dunny and you're, it was like the murder investigation. I completely forgot the game existed. See? <laughs> See, the thing, the, the, that's the thing is like, it didn't like for me, it's it's of the I forgot it existed category. It's not it's a just, it's not a so bad I remember it category. See, see for me, I remember it because I wrote the mechanic mechanical aspect to it, and it was not very good mechanically. But honestly, as a game, it was just middling. Yeah. So that's probably why it's just it's completely forgettable. See, like the closest thing I think it was like the most recent Serenity game, which just seemed like just nothing seemed to be going well in that game. But even <laughs> that, I wouldn't say that game was terrible. I couldn't stand it. The game just didn't go well. There's a lot of things wrong with it. I don't know. Huh. I don't know. Sorry. That's where my mind's been for like most of this thing. Yeah, fair enough. Like, I mean, I think, you know, I think just whipping out a D&D game, though, and playing it, like, are some of the games that, like, we, like, that is just a general example, are some of the games that we just kind of, like, gloss over and forget to some degree. Like, I think the ones that we had, like, that were some of the best ones are ones where we did something different. Like, the Iron Claw game is one of the best games I have ever ran. Mm. Period, I say. Like, I know it may not be everybody's favorite, but, like... And that, was, that one was very different. Like, I wrote that game differently than I normally write games. I am very curious where my 
my most recent the Dragon Heist game is going to fall in this little category. I'm not sure because I don't because uh, again I don't know if that one was one that if there were problems with it I don't think it was your fault. <laughs> no, but I can definitely see that most I can I can definitely envision most of the memories of this of the game being negative. Yeah, I agree. Because there was a Which lot is sad of because there was there was good stuff. Like yeah, there's just like a, a lot of negativity, right? It's like there was a lot of hey, will you do this job for me? You don't get paid. Yeah, and we're just like okay, that was the running gig then. Yeah, that's like there, be, there there's there was a lot of negativity going on in the game, and I feel yeah. like that's it's going to be remembered for that. Yeah, but I also don't think I ran it remarkably well. So. I don't know if that was the problem, but see, it's funny you mentioned that Serenity game too that we played mm-hmm. because I actually had I I actually felt good about the game. Not that it went particularly amazingly, but like overall, the game the game structure in and of itself, I was like, this can work. <laughs> I that's another one of those games that I think had a lot of potential, uh-huh. and the, the ball was dropped by multiple people at multiple ends. Yeah, fair enough. You know, like there. Said, sorry, what were you gonna say? Uh, as you say, as I said, that 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 game is actually one that I feel like I could flesh over a little bit and package and make it um like doable like that would be like con game length uh, a con length game i could run like oh i i completely agree i definitely like that like i said that game had a lot of potential there's Mm -hmm. just a few hiccups along the way yeah you know like both in both like storyline and player wise like things just did not quite go very smoothly yeah, yeah, and there need to be things done there, but yeah. All right, that was eleven. If everyone likes your game but nobody loves it, it will fail. And I think this is true in tabletop gaming. I think people, I think we fall into that trap a lot of like every trying to to bring everything down to an even level. If that makes sense. Every time we get on a boat. Every time we get on a freaking boat, like, I yeah, I don't know, I. I'm a big fan of the try trying different things, and if it fails, it fails so well. You know, it's a game you're playing with your friends. Do it. Like the fail state can only be so bad when you're playing with your friends, right? Right. Yeah. Like even the bad games we've played, we get some joy out of just talking about them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's like okay, you know, like there's some good in that. So I, don't know. I think you should try to do a horror game sometime because I think that would be sweet. Okay, so number twelve. We'll get to this one at least here. I think. Yeah. So, we'll yep. All right. Number twelve. Don't design to prove you can do something. Uh, so your decisions have to serve the game and not you. Don't let your ego uh, drive your decisions. So um, the example Rosewater uses for this in Magic is Tybalt <laughs> from Avacyn Restored. Um, basically, they were like, "Hey." Let's make a two-mana Planeswalker. See if we can do it. Well, nothing really served, you know, Tybalt or the card or anything by making it a two-mana card. They just wanted to see if they could, if they could do a two-mana card. And Tybalt kind of sucked, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> they, they successfully printed a two-mana Planeswalker. Yeah, that was no good. And people were upset by that, you know? It's like... The whole point was trying to to play this game of design instead of trying to design the best 
card for that character that they could do. Mm-hmm. You know? And and they failed in that thing. Like, you know, and this one I think is similar, and I can fall into this trap too, I think, to some degree quite a bit. So um, it's kind of like, don't confuse interesting with fun thing. Like, when you're on the back end making your game, and I probably do this way more than you, because I like the mechanical, structural aspect of games. So I'll easily sit on the back end and think, oh, it'd be cool if I did this thing with this, because the structure of that is really interesting, and I wonder how it all works out. And it's really easy to lose sight of that making the game is not the fun of the game, you know? The the fun of the game is, is that you're making a shared experience for your group, yourself and your group. And the actual playing of the game is the part that's supposed to be fun, not the creation of the game necessarily. Like you can have fun doing it, but like, you know, that's not your end goal. The goal is to to make the game the best it can be, not have the best experience making the game, if that makes any sense. But like, you know, making the game is not the game. That's <laughs> kind of thing. So if your like, goal if your goal in making a game is to just have people do what you want them to do and like just to like show your your writing chops as it were, it makes more sense just to write a book. Yeah, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you're if you're just railroading things like that or you know, like as I said, my thing is structural things. Like I find building like the way the game is built and the is is very interesting like you know i've and i've talked about some of the inter- the things i i want to try with with games and stuff like that you know um actually a good example would be is this, uh that mist game that we just talked about uh-huh. the diceless one like my whole goal was to i'm like oh i want to make a diceless game and i decided to use this world and this and and to test out with this story and Nothing really served. Nothing about that story really served having the game be the the mechanical aspect of the game be what it was. Yeah, it didn't improve your like the story did not improve the mechanic, and the mechanics did not improve the story. Exactly, it didn't. It didn't do that. That's like so. You know, one of the games I'm writing right now is that My Little Pony game and everything stuff like that. You know, and and what this is something I'm very much watching out for because some of it is a structural or a piece that I'm writing the game around to some degree but it's like you know i want to make that piece interesting and i'm actually thinking about that you know instead of just the act of making it but like you know when i was looking at the mechanics for it too and stuff like that i'm like oh well i could use this system and i looked at the system and i'm like well some of it works really well and i think but i don't know if it gets the point across i'm trying to do and you know i sit there and look and look and look and look and finally i just build my own thing that fits the exact pieces i need to try to actually convey what I'm trying to convey instead of just, you know, doing this other thing for the sake of doing the thing. See, the so something that really sticks out of me with this exact thing is uh, don't let your ego drive your decisions. Mm-hmm. And it's it's less about ego, but it's more about, like, personal desire. And, mm-hmm. like, th- that's another one of my, you know, hang-ups in regards to running a horror campaign is... Does anyone else actually want to do it, or do I just want to tell the story? I mean, that's some of it too. That's a good question to ask, even too. You know, it's like like, like running a horror game. In my opinion, would be interesting. Would it be fun? And I don't know. Yeah, but you know? like to go back to one, like sometimes you know you just got to try something. 
That's fair. You know, and I think I, I would rather, you know, and I'm the kind of person I would rather do something and fail at it than not try it with some of these. Like, I'm okay with my games failing. Like, that's totally fine. You know, I've I've probably had more bad games than I've had good games that I've ran by a pretty good margin, or maybe middling games and stuff like that. But like, you know, I I, I haven't had many like really good games that I'm like, wow, that was great. You know, about the only one I can think of is that Ironclaw game is probably still one of my top games I've I've ran. And yeah, I'm not sure what else. <laughs> Like yeah, I, that's that's I think that's just part of being a a GM though. Is like you, if you're a GM who looks back and you're like, man, I run amazing games. You either must be very 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 secure in that, or you're lying to yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean that has to be it has to be one of those degree. Like you know, like, I I, I, I yeah. do actually think that Tim, our old du- dungeon master can look back and say I run good games. I would agree too. I, I know you he, I know you don't like the D D world and all that kind of stuff. I, like, I don't me and him have very different styles of games that we we like. He like he likes the grand, you know, um epic story that typically is in a you know game like this. Yeah. Uh, or a D D game. Um but he knows how to run a friggin' game. Yes. Like I I will say one hundred percent he does. Like and some of some of my favorite games have been under him. Like that's hundred percent true, you know. And like I and I I think I think he 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 does a very good job of not falling into the trap. Like is one of it. I don't think he's trying to prove anything to himself. Sometimes I think he can. Just with, um, yeah, definitely. He he likes the um, the um, uh, proper noun soup kind of thing. Sometimes he's very good at that. What? He's very good at that. Uh, yeah, and and that t- I get very tired of that very quickly. Like I try, like trying to read through like any of the White Wolf books, the the New World of Darkness books. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! I just I I, I almost just shut down trying to read them because it's it's just all proper nouns about things and it's like just communicate things in a way that is understandable like is is my thing like and i just uh i get why they do it but it's just it's so to me it's very exhausting yeah i can as someone who's actually read vampire bloodlines or whatever it was called like i definitely can identify with that yeah, like, well, and, so we have these yeah. th- these five different clades with these seven different bloodlines and these like word soup, you know, yeah. thing like protein somehow refers to the fact you can turn your arms into claws and shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> but like, also just like they can't just use normal words for things; they have to use a special word for it. Yeah. Like, you can't just be like, oh, be here's obscure, the faction. Right? Yeah, yeah, here's the faction I'm in. It's like, no, it, this is the, you know, whatever the blah, 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 of it. It's like, oh my gosh, I get it. I get it. But it's just like, you're just creating extra barriers of complexity through that that just make it nonsensical to some degree. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where I run into the trouble with some of it. Like, 
I don't know, but like, but I mean, some people like that shit. So uh, some people do, yeah. And that's just as I say, this is just for me and stuff. And I have my own way of thinking stuff. And as I said, you know, I, I'm not an epic story guy. I like very small. I like small stories, if that makes sense. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I I far prefer those than than you know, like if you you know if you fail at your mission, the going to be taken over or destroyed or anything. You know, I like. Yeah, I like the like the ones that are. If you fail in your mission, it's set back for you, or your life's destroyed. You know, it, yeah. it affects you. It doesn't affect the grander world or anything. Because honestly, you don't matter <laughs> unless it's a one shot. In which case, if you fail at your mission, a nuke goes off and everyone dies. On the grand scale of things, that was actually not, actually no mind. That was actually designed to be kind of a historical <laughs> there. Never mind. But I mean, like realistically, it was just one planet. Yeah, actually, that piece didn't matter. That was just the setup for the. That was part of the setup for the like big, for the actual game, for the big thing. Yeah, like basically, like your guys's thing was like suppose they like raided Osama bin Laden's compound before nine eleven to stop it, mm-hmm. and failed. Is like basically what happened with that game. Which is funny because our failure is one of the only reasons why we survived. Yeah, like you guys failed more than you were. <laughs> As you which, which the game served its purpose of tuning up some stuff, so that was good. But so I, I love overcompensated. How, I love how in that world, it's only one planet is actually a perfectly reasonable statement. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a like super high sci-fi space game where there's like gates where you can go to other planets and everything. Like, and I'm and I'm gonna point out we succeeded at our mission when we dropped that nuke on that tower. Oh, that one, yeah, definitely you did. Yeah, we just got caught up in the blast. Oh yeah. I mean, considering the worst thing that happened was your party lost an arm. You did pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> but hazard pay. Hazard pay. That's why we make the big. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know. That was good, but yeah, I, I the the yeah for the design to, don't design to prove you can do something is what like yeah I'm not sure about you, but this is this is one of those traps that I fall into like crazy because mm-hmm. I can I can just overdo it, and I know there's been a couple of games where I've overdesigned it. Maybe the correct term, but I'm not 100 percent sure that's it even like. All right, cool. Well, that's probably enough for today. I think we might be able to, if we if we get stuff going, we probably could finish next week, three parter. Yeah, I'm sure there's more in there that I'll have literally nothing to say to say in response to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, we'll see. But someday we'll get to a game in person again, and figure out what we're gonna do. But obviously, yeah. the biggest tragedy of this is that. We're not gaming again, so Janelle can't run a game for us. I know, but that I'm just actually means very disappointed. The thing is, so the, this is like this is a two-way street, right? A, we're giving her more time to try and actually flesh out the game she wants to run, uh-huh. and B, it's giving her more time to get cold feet. Besides, she doesn't want to do it anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I, as I said, I'm of the opinion that I think everybody should run the game once. Yeah, module their own creation, whatever it is. 
one shot made up. Uh, it's like it just helps people understand what's going on and appreciate things. Like I don't know. I think it makes players better players. I agree. Like, I I lo- I legit truly honestly agree with that statement. Yeah. Being a GM or DM or whatever you want to refer to yourself as will yep. make you a better player because you understand the struggle. Yeah, you understand the struggle and just understand, like you understand that it's not just about you. All. Yeah, like, and I think that's a big thing too. Is is that like you're concerned about giving other people spotlight and you know making sure that other people's characters can shine and that everybody is kind of you know and not just trying to screw things up to be an ass or anything. Like, mm-hmm. sometimes you know, and also, your what, players are just idiots. Sometimes your players are just idiots, and you have to go with that. But you know, like, <laughs> I want—it's funny because it's like I wonder if first Christina to GM a game sometime if it would like just like make her even better as a player or like regress her in some way. <laughs> I mean, she's, she's already better. better than both of us. So. She's way better of a player than she has any right to. Be. <laughs> like uh, probably like no joke probably the best player in our entire play yeah like i have to say that and that's ridiculous like you know but it, i mean you know not gaming at all like not doesn't have the history of gaming like we maybe that's just a big thing no baggage or anything yeah, she she doesn't have any like yeah she doesn't have any baggage from like you know oh i used to play in high school so i have like those things right yeah, she's just like she just jumped in feed first. She's like, sure, I'll play with you. Yeah, it's like yeah. Uh, I'm I'm gonna play an old ass bat and who's crush gonna, it and just crush it. Like, uh, like I, when she played a shopkeeper, when we we had that like we played like two two days worth of a D and D game where it's like you know we were all like making these D and D characters. We get like abducted and shit. I'm like a a hellborn trying to redeem my soul. You're a oh, crystal gold was... demon hunter. And she's a shopkeeper. She's a level two commoner with no abilities, no weapons, no nothing. And I'm like, why don't you just play uh, the merchant thing? It's like strictly better than commoner. She's like, no, I want to be a commoner. <laughs> it's and she just stayed yeah. in character the whole time. It just crushes it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just, uh, it's just absurd. Like, yeah. Old Man Bad is still like one of my favorite characters because, like, I literally weird. almost cried one time. Like, he he was either the best or second best character in that game. Who do you think was the best or the the contender? Tucker's character in the Iron Claw game. Yeah, I actually really liked Tucker's Weasley little backstabbing. Like spur of the moment, I will figure out a way to get what I want. Character, I like. I was okay with the character, but no way. I wouldn't even put him in the top three. Really? Yeah. Wasn't there only like four of us playing? There were five so in Iron Class. So it was. So my my power rank would be Christina's character. Alright. Uh. Then either your character. Or Cassie's character. Oh, I actually—I literally forgot Cassie's character existed. No, Cass—it's either—it's either Cassie's character or it's easily Cassie's character. Or yeah, it or is. Or and, then, and then and then and then your character, and then Tucker's character, and then right. Dan's character. 
I, I literally I forgot Kathy Cassie was even a player. I'm just like, there's no way in hell you think she drove the entire game basically. Well, I know, but but I'm like, there's no way in hell you think the dance character. Oh god no! Oh god no! <laughs> Sorry, but like love Dan, but like his that the the character was just there was the yeah, problem. He was, you know. Yeah, Cassie's character easily takes second. Yeah, I would say like there is just so much emotional connection with Old Man Bat. Like, the, like so. Here's the thing: that is an extremely difficult role to play as a character. Like, yeah, you're you're playing this old. Like this old man who basically mentored these this these two kids. One's a character, and the other one's an NPC. Like from kids, and like taught them and everything, and is good friends with the NPC who is basically the bad guy in the game, yep. but hasn't always been the bad guy. And she crushed it. Like that yeah. is very hard to do without being that colored by the perceptions of the game that you're playing already because you don't get to see all the background. But somehow she just brought all that background in and made it work. Like, <laughs> I'm still just floored by that. That was just phenomenal. Yeah. But, all right. So we, we can wrap this one up here. you have anything else? or <laughs> no. if, if I do run a horror game, it is 100% being random dark hairs. Okay, sounds good. I think the mechanics for it are much better. That, might, that probably would work. Okay. If I was going to run a horror game, I would either run it probably in that or dice Like, the thing is, like, D&D has horror mechanics, but D&D has no punishment for injury. No, and I think, I honestly, I think Dark Heresy has stuff would work well. But as I said, I would either want it in, in a system like that, or I'd want it in a system with very few rules where I can do whatever I want. That's fair. Um, yeah, I don't know when the set comes out, but probably pretty soon here, and we'll do our review of that, I'm sure, but, um, I can't remember if it's next week or the week after. I think... I think it's the uh, week after. Right. Or, yeah, for some reason I'm thinking the 11th, but I, that has to be wrong. Yeah. Victoria, Lair of Hemoths, Pre-order, Cena Cards, First Look, General Kunro Dranith. Badass. Well, <laughs> whatever. We'll figure that out. Um, May fifteenth. Okay, so we got a. So, oh, we got a while. Okay. May fifteenth uh, is the tabletop room. So. Oh, okay. So it's a couple weeks before that. So yeah, I think we got two. But yeah. whatever. Um, if you want to do some feedback, shoot us an email to meta at gmail .com. Catch us on Twitter at the local meta PC. Check out the local meta .com. Uh, you can get links to the Discord there. Come hang out, chat about magic. We've actually been talking about the spoilers. Um, or talk about Pokemon. Talk about the awesomeness and, you know. There's check out lot. John's pure ghost team. A lot of Pokemon chat going on. Yeah, you can get your Gorgeist in there and crush the PU tier or something. I will crush you with a Gorgeist. <laughs> you probably will, and I will feel so bad. Um... <laughs> It's just like a solid check to my entire team. Um, <laughs> but um, you can also find the link to the Patreon on there. Um, you can just go shoot us kind words on there and stuff. Save your money. You know, yeah. go support something that needs to be supported right now. Um, I know um, in the next couple weeks, um, 
I'm trying to remember when it is now. Um, April 17th, uh, GDQ is doing Corona Relief Done Quick. Uh, 17th through the 19th, they're doing, quick. they're doing a marathon for that. So um, you can shoot some money to that if you want to support um, something with that. Otherwise, support your local game stores um, and the people in your community. But All right. Cool. John, anything else? I know you said it kind of jokingly, but I've actually been talking to my brother also a lot about Pokemon. Mm -hmm. You can't buy a Switch because they're literally sold out everywhere in the world right now, apparently. Because everybody's trapped in their houses. And... <laughs> yeah. But um, he, he like showed me, he's like, this is going to be my team. I looked at him like, I could sweep you with two Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wouldn't sad. tell him what to, but... <laughs> Can you sweep my entire team with two Pokemon? I don't even remember what your team is, maybe. Uh, I, I told you what my entire team is, but yeah. Yeah. I'd have to look at it again, so. Pro probably. But. All right, cool. On that note, we will catch you next time. Bye.